This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello, and welcome back to the E-Commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters from Bobsled Marketing. Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm joined by Andrew Lipsman, who is a principal analyst at Insider Intelligence, focusing on retail and e-commerce. Recent coverage includes grocery e-commerce, retail media networks, D2C brands, social commerce, holiday shopping, and Amazon Prime Day. Previously, Andrew was SVP of Marketing and Insights at Comscore. He's been a regular contributor to the Journal of Advertising Research and is frequently quoted by leading news organizations, including the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Advertising Age. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks, Carrie. It's great to be with you. So you recently published the Amazon Advertising 2021 report for Insider Intelligence, which was a great read. And thank you for including some of my comments in it, by the way. So I'm looking forward to debriefing on that report and what you've learned since then as well. Yeah, no, I always want to talk to the smartest people in the space to inform where I come down on these issues. So I really appreciate your contributions. (laughs) Well, I'm asking the questions today. Let's be clear on that. (laughs) (laughs) So just for those who are not familiar with insider intelligence, can you explain what the service is and your role there as well? Yeah, so insider intelligence is a research company focusing on digital transformation. And we're actually the combination of two companies that most folks may be familiar with, eMarketer and Business Insider Intelligence. We were kind of running in parallel under uh, common ownership, and we brought the two teams together and have newly formed Insider Intelligence. The eMarketer brand that many people would be familiar with covers marketing and advertising. Retail and e-commerce was also under that banner, although recently, because there's been so much demand, we have broken out retail and e-commerce as its own vertical. I was previously the, the lone analyst covering the space. We've now built out our team to having four analysts. Right. So yeah, that's a big move in that space. So insider intelligence. Let's talk about this Amazon Advertising 2021 report. You, I know that you've been following Amazon for a very long time. You know a lot about the company, always very astute on the topic when we talk. Was there anything from this research that particularly surprised you this year? Well, I think to some extent, Amazon advertising, maybe not in your world and my world, has has flown a little bit under the radar for a while. I mean, it's really built quite a juggernaut of, of an advertising business, but because it's secondary to some of Amazon's other businesses and because it's you know tertiary, I would say, to Facebook and Google, it's flown under the radar. So I've watched it and really become bullish on its prospect over the years. What I found surprising as I've been watching it in recent quarters is that we've tended to see advertising grow in tandem with growth in the commerce business, right? And that makes sense. As as there's more e-commerce activity on Amazon, you're going to see sellers buy more advertising. So quarter to quarter, you might see one quarter that commerce would tick up and advertising would move in tandem. In the last few quarters, we've seen a real decoupling where at the same time that e-commerce growth rates have come down, which was understandable based on you know the comparisons to the very elevated 2020 numbers. 
advertising accelerated, went in the opposite direction. And we had seen growth rates in the, you know, 60, 70, 80% year over year range. And so that got me thinking, well, what is going on here exactly? I mean, that's something that I wanted to interrogate. So that, I found that very surprising. And where I ultimately kind of came down on that is that one, those budgets that started flowing into e-commerce, particularly from CPG companies, were still moving, still in the process of, of moving over. So a lot of them shifted in 2020, but they were still moving over in 2021. And then the second piece is that Amazon has really been pushing more upper funnel advertising tactics. So I see that as a big shift in strategy. So that's kind of new incremental money that comes from different budgets that is helping accelerate the growth of Amazon. And, and part of the reason why I think that we're still in the very early days of Amazon and retail media's emergence and why I think the future is much more interesting than we've already seen, which has been pretty interesting. Hmm. To what degree are the Amazon FBA aggregators on your radar, either from the perspective of them actually contributing more ad dollars to Amazon advertising or elsewhere? Just a, a, a little bit off script here, but do you see them sort of contributing meaningfully in ad spend either on Amazon or, or elsewhere? Absolutely, right? So whereas Amazon advertising was previously driven predominantly by you know some SMB type of sellers, we've seen bigger brands move in and you know the Procter & Gamble's of the world and the Unilever's, but also these aggregators. So now all of a sudden you have these big budget power players who are much more deliberately pushing dollars into the space that's creating more competition, right? So we've also seen advertising rates increase as a consequence of that. So that's also pushing up the business. The demand essentially is outstripping supply as these big budgets flow in. Yeah, it, it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out from an incremental standpoint because pre-acquisition by the aggregators, these brands conceivably already are running ads. I guess in some cases they're not, but I, I would imagine that most of them are. But are the aggregators actually coming once they acquire these smaller brands? To what extent are they really ramping up ad spend and maybe being more aggressive with their bids and things like that? It would be interesting to see what effects they have long term and actually passing that out. And if you're able to leverage what the aggregators know to just better optimize spend, right? If you can find those pockets where you're getting better ROAS, that incentivizes upping budgets. So yes, they were already advertising, but I imagine that it's been described as, you know, putting it on putting Amazon advertising on steroids. And I think that's probably accurate. Yeah, it's really interesting because from what I hear, a lot of the, let's say, ad tech providers actually talk about one of the feathers in in their caps is is often like how many FBA aggregators are working with them or like which of the biggest aggregators are working with them. So we're all using the same tools, right? But at Bobsled, we use third-party advertising technology and it's the same tool that some aggregators are using. So there's a, at least right now in, in some areas, it's very democratized what type of what the tools are that either aggregators, agencies, large brands, small brands, we're all using the same tools and 
by and large, with Amazon in particular, it's a democratized platform. We all have access to the same kind of data. It's not like Instacart, for example, you've got that tiered data model where if you don't spend enough, you don't get as much data. If you spend a lot on Instacart advertising, you get more data. So yeah, I'm not sure to what degree other retail media channels operate more like Instacart or Amazon overall, but yeah, it's a pretty even playing field in so far as the technology and the strategies that you can use. It's pretty much open to anyone. And even even with the same access to data though, right? It depends on having the same inputs and there's always going to be some qualitative differences in approach, right? So there's so so on the quantitative side, the pure quantitative side, eventually dollars will flow in the same direction as, as pockets of ROAS. But this takes time, right? Those iterations and optimizations happen over cycles, not instantaneously. But then everyone will have a different qualitative approach. And so that will still continue to be a differentiator. Hmm. That's interesting. And so the aggregators, because they have sort of more vast product portfolios and brand portfolios, and they're selling in different categories and sometimes in the same category, they'll also have more data around what's working for this brand over here. And can we apply those lessons for our 10 other brands over there? Is that kind of what you're saying? That's how I imagine it. Yeah. I mean, and this is, it's a really interesting area to explore. I actually need to do a lot more research to understand the inner workings of these aggregators and how they're operating. But, you know, it makes sense if they have this broad purview of so many brands that, yes, they would probably have some better qualitative intelligence in in addition to being well-versed in in running the quantitative playbook. Okay, great. Sorry for taking us down that (laughs) rabbit hole, but it it was a fascinating, (laughs) it's a fascinating rabbit hole. So with the report, you spell out a number of predictions, which is something we all love to hear about, particularly at the end of the year. Could you share a couple of your predictions with us from that report? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would say that, you know, the progression that I see happening with Amazon is it's clearly moving up the funnel. What does that mean today? There's a lot more display and video on site, but really it's moving into the DSP and more targeted ads off site. So that's already happening. What's next after that, I think, is the progression into CTV. So being able to have TV-like ad experiences underpinned by closed-loop targeting and measurement becomes very compelling. I see that becoming very disruptive in, in the near term. But some of the specific innovations that I'm really fascinated to see how they play out are interactive ads, right? So the ability, if you imagine these CTV environments, the ability to see an ad for a consumer good and be able to take action through Alexa and say, you know, add to cart. I think that's a really compelling application. I think it will take time for consumers to adapt to something like that. And it certainly helps explain why Amazon is getting more into TV hardware because they want to own that experience that enables those types of direct response ads in TV. But even if that happens at a fairly low incidence, I think the ability to bring in performance marketing into TV-like environments can be very transformative to the industry. And then the last innovation that I'm starting to think a lot more about is the potential of Amazon to introduce product sampling. I mean, they have an amazing distribution network to bring products into people's homes. Most people are getting their weekly Amazon delivery anyway. And for consumer goods to be able to introduce product samples and do that in a way that 
works in conjunction with the ads that they're being delivered across other platforms. So you can you know, drive awareness for a product and then actually put that product in front of the consumer and then see, is that consumer, after they sample the product, purchasing it afterward? And do they do that on a regular basis? So there's, there's a whole new kind of marketing mechanism that's going to start to play out or I imagine it playing out that I think is going to be you know, a marketing analytics person's dream. Wow. So interesting. So on the product sampling point, a few years ago, Amazon did have a product sampling program, which was a paid program Mm -hmm. paid by brands. Why did that not pan out? They, They scrapped it at some point. Million dollar question, Kira. I'm wondering the same thing, and I, I would love to get to the bottom of it. So, if anybody knows, please reach out to me. No, so I think there was an assumption at the time. Oh, Amazon backed away from this; it didn't work. I almost wonder if they just did some early tests so that they could wrap their heads around it and then kind of reintroduce it in a bigger way at a time when it was ready. That's still sort of what I expect. I could be wrong, but I think it's exciting, and part of the reason why I'm retraining my focus on product sampling is that GoPuff is out there and they've been talking quite a bit about their vision of introducing product sampling into their retail media network. So if GoPuff's going to be doing it, I have to think Amazon is looking at that too. They don't want to be not doing something that the competition is doing. So again, I don't think this is a a very near term thing. It, It may take a couple of years for this to start to play out in a more meaningful way but it's something I'm thinking about. Yeah, yeah, it would be it would be great. I could see how brands would want to take that up. They Amazon knows more about individual shoppers and households than you know, nearly anyone else out there. So, if I could if I could target small breed dog owners, you know, with my new innovative pet care product then Makes a lot of sense. It's huge for product launches, right? Yeah. To drive people to drive awareness for a new product and then drive that trial. That's what a lot of brands want to do. And also, if you think about, you know, the key metrics, the KPIs that advertisers are looking at, what's the one I keep hearing about is new to brand. So you can see, you can see that this whole idea of introducing brands through CTV and then generating trial, the new to brand metrics for that start to become really compelling. Do you have a perspective on how the iOS privacy changes and future cookie depreciation will affect the market share of the Google, Facebook, Amazon triopoly? Yeah, well, I mean, so first off, Amazon keeps gaining share of digital advertising year after year. It'll be about one in seven ad dollars today. It's about half the size of Facebook. And if you just look at the respective markets, search advertising, Amazon is starting to really eat into Google's share. By the way, Google's going to be just fine, but that business is, is is running pretty strong at the moment. But Amazon is technically eating into that market share. And it's starting to eat into Facebook's share of display advertising as it moves into more upper funnel format. So I think we are seeing a bit of a, a shift in the power structure in digital. And Amazon is, I think, starting to surprise Facebook and Google to some extent and what you can see is the value of that first party data that they have on consumer shopping and buying habits is it's the most valuable data out there for targeting and measurement. And so you see that, that Google and Facebook are both making moves to move 
in a bigger way into commerce so that Amazon can't lean into that strategic advantage that they currently have. Right. Yeah. So it would require a pretty big play on both Google and Facebook's part to actually bridge that gap that Amazon has around knowing exactly what we've shopped, researched, repurchased over time. That's a huge moat that they have. Absolutely. And listen, Google is sitting in a pretty good place because they have the best, you know, intent data in the world and they have, you know, some visibility into purchase data, just not the same level of depth as Amazon. Facebook, meanwhile, if you want to know why they're talking a lot more about commerce and social commerce and, you know, trying to introduce checkout into Facebook and Instagram, it has everything to do with getting access to as much first party purchase data as they can. So you're working on a new report right now, which is about retail media benchmarks. And that's based on research that you've been doing at Insider Intelligence. And this is going to be the first year that Insider Intelligence has actually put forecasts out for retail media. So I'd love to learn what has changed either in the industry or in your own measuring capabilities to allow for you to actually start putting forecasts together now. Yeah, well, so the, the first, the forecast data, we just unveiled our retail media forecast actually in conjunction with my Amazon advertising report. And previously, we had a forecast on what we called e-commerce channel advertising, which is most of retail media, but it's really just the ads that are appearing on owned and operated retailer sites and apps. The other piece that we were missing was essentially off-site targeted ads, things that are transacting through the DSP. And so we were able to pull enough third-party data together to be able to come up with a forecast for that slice of the market. It turns out that that's about 10% of total retail media, but that allowed us to put a more comprehensive estimate for retail media together. The retail media benchmarks report that I'm working on now is looking at the top 10 or so retail media networks. And we ran a first-party survey We did first-party research surveying a number of brands and agencies who buy through retail media platforms. And we asked them across 13 different attributes, what's important to them in a retail media platform? What are they looking for in terms of things like traffic scale, quality, advertising relevance, ROAS, and a number of other attributes. And we asked them to rank platforms like Amazon and Walmart Connect and eBay ads and Instacart. So we got a much better understanding of how people are looking at the full landscape, because what we hear is there's so many retail media networks today. And I think the challenge is if I'm a brand or an agency working on behalf of a brand is where do I place my bets? It's hard to scale that to eight or 10 different networks, right? I might only have the time or resources to focus on two, three, or four. How do I determine what's going to be the best and what are the specific advantages that each one might have? Right. Okay. Yeah. So thanks for correcting me. You've got the benchmarking, which is coming out in 2022. Early 2022. Yeah. Early 2022. And the actual, the forecasts is something that you've already been, that we've already published. Yeah. And the high level numbers on that are that we surpassed 30 billion in US retail media spending this year in 2021 at an over 50% growth rate. While those growth rates will come down a bit in the coming years to about the 30% and high 20% range. The next two years, we see $10 billion in incremental spending coming in. So we'll go 
from 30 billion this year to 40, over 40 billion next year and over 50 billion by 2023. Wow. That's huge. And so huge. what, what allowed you to start being able to do that kind of forecasting? We look at tons and tons of data sources. We pour over publicly reported data from earnings reports. So Amazon, we have pretty good visibility and, and Amazon, of course, makes up the bulk of the market. But Walmart has published information, eBay, Etsy, a couple of others that we have good data on, and then other resources that we use to be able to estimate some of these other components in the market, like you know the percentage of ads that are coming through DSPs. This might be more of a corporate accounting question, but... <laughs> when you know Amazon's advertising income sits in that other category in their financial statements, at what point will it be big enough where it has to be split out into that, that's a question for the regulators, isn't it? I, I mean, I think what, what's good is that everyone knows with some level of certainty that the majority of that, the vast majority of that is advertising revenue. At some point, you would think in the very near term, given how big the business is, that maybe that it would need to be explicitly measured. But yeah, I think that's more a question for regulators than for me. <laughs> yeah, I guess to your point about Amazon sort of flying under the radar of the advertising industry writ large, I think it's part of being, being part of their strategy. I mean, yeah, fly under the radar and... Take everyone by surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, one of the interesting dynamics too is... Everyone looks at the commerce business that's driven, you know, the bulk of the, the revenue. And then everyone started paying attention to AWS because this was a reasonably large but hugely profitable business. And then coming up behind that was the ads business, which wasn't as big as AWS, but also a profitable business. And what I think we've started to realize, especially in recent quarters, is as those ad growth rates have accelerated to the 60, 70, 80% range. Those were the quarters where Amazon's profits blew it out of the water. To me, that's a tell that that ad business is the most profitable part of the Amazon business. And as it continues to get more scale, that becomes you know a huge driver of their profit story. Yes. Well, yeah. And as you said previously, when we we're talking about the aggregators, more competition coming in in an auction-based system drives the price of that ad unit up and it doesn't cost Amazon any more to deliver a competitive placement than a non than a less competitive placement, right? It's just literally upside for them. So it's a business with tremendous operating leverage, right? So you're exactly right. As as there's just more volume that comes in, more inventory because people are buying more stuff online, that combined with the fact that the average price of an ad goes up, it's, yeah, most of that drops straight to the bottom line. Yeah, I guess there is a tipping point, though, which is the customer experience. And that's something that Amazon always fiercely defends. And there is, you know, you can sort of read anecdotal stories from people who are turned off by all of the advertising on on Amazon. And there's been some analysis from various people taking screenshots of an Amazon search results page and you know half of the page is taken up with ads and <laughs> what kind of effect does that have on the customer experience but yeah what's your perspective on that because so, I guess that is a limit unless they continue to like grow traffic exponentially that is an upper limit on how many how much ad inventory they can sell. 
I did in the report call that out as a risk and something to watch. I was actually really happy to get some quantitative data behind this from Profitero that showed the ad load on the first page of search results for Amazon and comparison to a couple of other top retail media networks. Amazon was over eight impressions per page. Walmart was at about four and then Target and Home Depot, I think, were under two. Wow. So yeah, so the pages are getting pretty low. And, and as you mentioned, you know, it's it's really maybe the first notable example, I would say, of something that is compromising the customer experience for the sake of Amazon's business. So I think there is a real tension that could play out. What I would say, though, is that in every piece of research I've seen about how consumers feel, at least, you know, in aggregate about the ad experience on Amazon, they're totally okay with it. So it may hit a point where they start to get some consumer backlash, but right now they seem to be tolerating it pretty well. There is one other example of of an instance which, in my opinion, stretches the customer experience with Amazon, and that's with their private label brand products, which to me, in, in many instances, this sort of PR backlash and the regulatory queries directed at Amazon around their private label products and how they came to launch those, that sort of yeah, that's another situation where it's questionable to me, like what kind of upside are they getting from the GMV and the net income of these products that they sell, which come under such scrutiny by consumers and and the press and regulators. Somehow the juice is worth the squeeze to Amazon. And then also they're kind of losing it if they're actually advertising those products in their own advertising ecosystem, then they're losing out on conceivably more profitable ad dollars from national brands and startups and things like that. So just wanted to throw that one out there as well. Another instance where something just still doesn't add up to me. Around so that. I've wrestled with this one for a while. And one of the arguments is that, you know, Amazon's got private label, but is that really all that different than what retailers have done for a long time? And by the way, Amazon, you know, it's something less than 1% of their inventory is private label, whereas, you know, brick and mortar retailers, it's 10 or 15%. So I definitely listen to that argument. What I make of it is, I don't know that Amazon really thinks that they are going to make a lot of money from that private label. The bigger impact may be that by putting out competitive products, according to the dimensions that they know that consumers most want, it forces all the other sellers to compete with that by making their products better and making their prices as good as possible. Yeah. So if you compete on those dimensions, that is a way of Amazon kind of creating a scale effect that creates a better customer experience for everyone. So that's the lens that I've been looking at it through. Those are great points. Those are very good points because you do need to have, for every sort of product, you need to have uh, different price points for different types of customers and different types of needs. So that does make a lot of sense. All right, you got me there, Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so closing out here, a couple of questions for you. What have you changed your mind about recently? I love this question. I feel like one of my responsibilities as an analyst and one of my core values is to have to look at every issue from both sides. And I believe there's a lot of strength in changing your opinions. So I sort of subscribe to the theory of strong opinions loosely held. And I just am always looking for new information that might change my thinking. I actually love those instances when I talk to somebody smarter than me and they give me a new angle to think about 
and I can change my opinion. That's the best. So recently I've been starting to train some of my thinking on the metaverse because it's obviously being talked about and a lot of implications. And I guess I would say that I've, I went into that area somewhat skeptical and I still am in certain aspects of it. But what I've started to realize is I'm separating my thinking between the big broad concept of the metaverse in its every incarnation and what that can mean, sort of existing ubiquitously in the world around us versus what often gets conflated with the metaverse, which is just the VR experience. I tend to still be a little bit more skeptical on just how big the VR experience can be and what people will do in those environments and the limitations when you have to be completely immersed in a different world. I still liken that to something more similar to gaming, which is a major media channel, but it hasn't like taken over, right? It hasn't taken over everything. And so I don't see this as the natural successor to the mobile internet per se, but I am starting to get a little bit more bullish on some of the broader implications of the bigger concept of the metaverse. Love it. What are you most excited about right now? I am so excited about retail media. I will say with the exception of the last couple of weeks, as I've started to put more thought space into the metaverse, so much of my time, probably three quarters of my time has been about retail media and I've never seen a space start to take off and so much demand and so many new interesting angles to explore. So I'm just loving every minute of this. I'm loving thinking about it. I'm loving talking about it. I'm loving connecting with people in the industry because as I said, I think we're just getting started. So I already find it endlessly fascinating. And I know that the next iterations of it are just going to get even more interesting. Super cool. And I'm really looking forward to that research you're working on, retail media benchmarks coming out in 2022. How can people follow you and the work that you're you're doing over there at Insider Intelligence? Yeah, well, I'm more of a lurker on Twitter at a Lipsman, um, less of an interactor. I do share some content, which I've been doing on, on LinkedIn recently. So you can find me there um, sharing some retail media insights. And I've got one new initiative, which is that we are launching a podcast within a podcast over at Insider Intelligence called Reimagining Retail. So that's going to be kicking off and definitely encourage people to give it a listen. Oh, great. That is great to know because I am a big fan of the eMarketer podcast where you often come and present your most recent research. So when is Reimagining Retail launching? It is launching, well, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but it is launching the middle of this week of December 6th. Great. Well, we'll link up to that in the show notes for the episode. Thank you for joining me, Andrew. Always so good to chat with you. Great to chat with you, Carrie. Thanks for having me.